Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Aaron, and I, I'm here to introduce Neil Hubacher, our um, pastor over at the harbor. Come on up, Neil. And I'm going to pray for him. God, we're just so thankful that we have a community, not only here, but at large, where we get to be blessed and get to bless. Um, and I just sort of pray right now that Abrahamic blessing over Neil as he is speaking today. God, that he um, would be blessed himself as he is a blessing to us. And God, we pray that your fire would be on him Amen. and that his speaking would be um, as with the words of God. Yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence with us today. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. Well, good morning. It is a real privilege to be here today. I always enjoy uh, being at the river. There's a flavor of who you are, which is fun. I, I like the lights back there. I like the worship team. But I really like the way you guys smell in Jesus. And... That smell is akin to a really great perfume or a wonderful cologne. There's just something sweet about the presence of God here, and I love it. So it's great to be here. Um, I, Sean had wanted me. I'm actually very eager to preach. Um, I understand your service ends at 1230. Is that right? <laughs> so we got some time. Sean just wanted me to give you a little update about um, Kelsey and I and our journey. So I'll do that briefly, and then we'll pray again because prayer doesn't hurt, and then we'll, we'll get to it. But Kelsey and I are in the middle of a transition. Uh, by God's grace, we were allowed to be part of starting the harbor back in 2007. And um, it really, this transition really for us started in 2014. It's really been about two years where we have sensed that um, there's another door opening for us. And we knew that um, in order to get to that open door, we needed to close our one with the harbor. And thank God there's a beautiful couple in Brian and Jade Carlson, who have come alongside us these last two years, and we're actually co-pastoring now, and in their hands, the harbor will turn officially in a month from now. Actually, June 26th will be our last Sunday. So Kelsey and I, I'm, I'm, I'm being very brief here, so we can certainly chit-chat after the service, but um, Kelsey and I feel like the nations are on our radar eventually, but what we feel like first needs to happen is we are just transitioning to the marketplace. Um, to be frank with you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of second round interviews um, with uh, companies both here in Metro Boston and also in Raleigh, North Carolina. We've thought, we've thought about being in Raleigh uh, as uh, one of our priorities is staying involved with this movement of churches. And my college friend Colby is the pastor of Antioch, Raleigh. And so, you know, I'm making my grids. I'm making my charts on how we should make this decision. But really, we just need the spirit of God. And so we're really in, in the dynamics of it where in the next few weeks here, we really need to land somewhere. So we have joy with just where the Father is leading us. We're so grateful for this family. And, you know, Sean, I should let you know, Sean has said, hey, Hubachers, you're always welcome. And we feel that welcome. We feel like, you know, these are our people and we'll always be with you. Um, but it is time for us to, you know, we are transitioning. And it's just from glory to glory. Amen? So privileged to be here and share that with you. Let's pray, and then uh, let's uh, get into God's Word. Lord, we love you, and as Brendan prayed earlier, we love the Word of God. Thank you for the grace gift that you've given us in the Word so that we can learn what's on your heart and be transformed, and we recognize your Word as something that divides 
soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It just unravels us um, with your presence and with uh, keen insight into our actual heart motives. So we're thankful for the word. And we just thank you for the grace gift that church is too. Thank you for these brothers and sisters that we get to walk with. And we receive them all with thanksgiving and ask you just to be here as we uh, gather around your word today. We need a transformative, transformative experience, not just lecture or learning. We need the Holy Spirit. So come, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So two Sundays ago, I had the privilege of ministering at MCI Framingham. MCI Framingham is the state's maximum security prison for women. And it's also, incidentally, the nation's oldest surviving women's prison. And I had a wonderful time. I was with a group of men there that, as a regular part of our rhythm, we minister in different prisons, and it was awesome. There was one inmate that I wish I had gotten to see, but she, did, she opted not to come to our chapel program that we were doing uh, two Sunday afternoons ago. Her name is Abby. And you might have heard of her because she was in the news in the fall. And the reason why she is at MCI Framingham right now is because on Friday, November 20th of last year, she went into a home at about 3 in the morning. And she went into a home, and Abby's about 21 or 22 years old. Abby went into a home where she used to babysit. And she knew, this is in Wenham, up on the North Shore, and she knew that this family didn't lock their doors. And so she removed the two-year-old girl that she used to babysit. Her name is Lyndon. And she removed this girl. And at about 6.30 in the morning, Lyndon's parents woke up and found out that child is missing. And so, of course, a whole air and land search went forth. If you were watching the news on that, that was the Friday before Thanksgiving, you would have been alerted to the fact that there was a search on for a two-year-old girl. Now, they were about to put the Amber Alert out, but then about eight miles from Lyndon's home in Wenham in Rowley, Mass., Little Lyndon turned up. It was about nine in the morning. They found her. Sadly, she had been shaven. She, had, she was dirty, and she had cigarette burns on her body. But thank God she was found. I don't, need the, I don't know the exact circumstances, but Abby was then picked up for this crime a few hours later at her home. And Abby is now, uh, she has been indicted. She was formally indicted at the end of March, and she's awaiting trial because they're trying to figure out, there's legal wrangling going on regarding to her competency to stand trial. You know, is she, is she sane? Or what's going on? Now, I'm sharing this whole story because I actually just want to set up a question for you. And my, my um, desire is not to cause any more harm to this family. Actually, the North Shore is a very small place, and Abby's family is a beautiful family. And actually, the press has already drug them, drug them through the mud so much because they happen to be very affluent. They happen to be believers in Jesus, and they happen to have ties to Gordon College. So the press is just having a heyday that this you know, 22-year-old daughter has got some issues going on. But thank God, Lyndon is safe. And again, Abby's awaiting trial. She's at MCI Framingham. But I just, I'm bringing this up because I want to ask you a, a question. And my question is this, especially for you parents out there, Imagine if I said to you, hey, guys, Abby's a great babysitter. Why don't you have her watch your kids today? I mean, I know she has this little problem, you know, once she has had some substance abuse, or, you know, she did one little abduction, but most of all, she's really good. 
She's good most of the time. What's your emotional response as a parent? Who do you want babysitting your kids? How much of their character has to be on and good? And how much do you have to know that their character is awesome? Right? If I say, hey, Abby can babysit your child today, your reaction is, you know, not yet, not now. That's crazy. I want to focus in on this emotional reaction to this this, um, situation I've set up artificially because I wonder if your reaction, you moms and dads, your reactions that whoever's going to take care of your kid has to be really, really good. They can't just be kind of good most of the time and, oh, once in a while I have a little slip up here with a major kind of issue. Does that point to something in the character of God that you and I need? In other words, you don't want a mix in your babysitter. Your, your babysitter has to be good all the time, right? There can't be a mix. Does our intolerance for any sort of mixture and someone who's going to take care of the vulnerable, does that point to something in the character of God that we really, really need and that we really, really want? In this series called Look, we've been talking about who God is. And what I understand from Pastor Sean is you've been talking about who the Holy Spirit is. Well, we're going to look at a passage today, and it's a tough passage. But I believe it will show us a part of the Holy Spirit's character that, as I've indicated, is really something you're quite in tune with. The strength of your feeling about, we can't have a kind of okay person watching my kids. That person's got to be 100%. I wonder if that points to something in the character of God. Let's look. So we're going to look together at Acts 5, 1 through 11. And again, we're asking the question, is there something about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does that we really need, even though at times it can be quite harsh? And what I'm going to ask us to do is, I don't know if you're in the habit of doing this here. We do this at times at the harbor. But I just want you to read out loud with me the passage as you see it on the screen. You may have a different version on your device or on your Bible. But just read with me. I want us to all read out loud together Acts 5, 1 through 11. And again, before we do this, I just want to state again. Actually, if anything, I would invite you to pray for Abby. Okay? Her name is Abigail Hannah. Please pray for her. Again, I'm not here to add to the mudslinging. I just was trying to create a situation that you could relate with. But we need to pray for Abby because Abby needs Jesus. And um, she comes from a beautiful family, and they're wrestling through all sorts of stuff, as you can imagine. All right, let's read this together out loud with me. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened, as it is us right now. (laughs) Let's keep reading. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, 
not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Last verse of the story, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Let's investigate a little further. And let's see, what is God saying about His Spirit? What do we learn about His character? Let's go back to verse 1. You notice that it begins with the all-important biblical but, right? Uh, Acts 5.1 says, but a man named Ananias. And so what we need is, or now, okay, great, NIV, more polite now. <laughs> now a man named Ananias. The context is what had just happened in the last five verses of chapter 4 is another person that you may be familiar with, a guy named Joseph, but we know him as Barnabas. He showed up. You remember Barnabas is the one who would then go on to recognize Saul and, and, and be a cheerleader for Saul as he walked into all of his authority and became Paul as, as we know him. And so Barnabas is just this great man in Acts. But he comes onto the scene a few verses before this. And how does he come onto the scene? He comes onto the scene by having sold a piece of property, laying all the money at the disciples' feet. Okay? Pure heart. Have it all, Jesus. I'm, I'm in for you in the kingdom. And then we get Ananias and Sapphira, and they come on the scene. And isn't it interesting that Ananias means the Lord is gracious? That's his name. Sapphira means beautiful. This is their identity. They are beautiful people to whom the Lord has been gracious, but like you and me, they have a tremendous capacity to deceive and be deceived. Remember, the issue here isn't that they held back some of the money. We figure some of this out by implication as we get into verses 2 and 3, which let's just put verse 2 on there, if we don't mind. Thank you, Evelyn. Isn't Evelyn awesome? I just have to say, Evelyn, you know, she's running the PowerPoint for worship, and I'm talking to her like, hey, do we have that image? Can we do this? And so she is just a multitasking queen. Thank you, Evelyn. All right, so what we get implied here is the issue is the deception, not that he... It was okay for him to have kept some money for himself. It would have been, but because he was trying to be like Barnabas. He was trying to say, this is all of it. And that's the implication we get as we go through. So the issue here is the deception, right? The implication that they're pretending that it was the whole amount. The problem is they're deliberate conspiring together. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 also. Now these verses should be quite sobering for us, right? Peter's able to say, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? That's sobering to me. I just go, oh God, let it not be that my heart is ever filled with the devices of Satan, but let me be filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet, we have Ananias. We really don't know whether he's a believer or not. We don't know how much of a poser he is or not. In fact, some people like Graham Cook, Graham Cook's a very prophetic kind of man, and he seems to think that Ananias and Sapphira were not even really followers of Jesus because this, this death thing was so big that um, you know, they must have been involved in the occult or something like that. I can't speak to that, but I can just say 
nonetheless, regardless of the condition of their salvation, there was, it's sobering to me that they were so captured by Satan that they were willing to be deceptive with no fear of God. And as we see, um, let's go to verse 4. Again, the issue is, didn't, and here's how we know that the, the apostolic band, you know, the move of God that was going on there, it wasn't, it wasn't um, controlling, right? It was not, let's control people. It was actually the opposite. As Peter's saying here, didn't this property belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, another, no one's making you do anything with this money. The issue, again, is you're deceiving. You're trying to be perhaps like Barnabas wanting the credit or the notoriety or the authority of their disciples, but not really um, walking in truth. And as we get here at the end, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to human beings, but to God. Okay, we see a lot of things going on here. We see Holy Spirit and God, same thing. Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity. Holy Spirit's valid. We also see the Holy Spirit's authority in this apostolic band is 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 uh, un, is important. You know, the, the authority that these apostles have is important. And so uh, Ananias and Sapphira lying to them is not good. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit's divine. He's a distinct person of the Trinity, and we are not to lie to him. So clearly, as we see both the death of Ananias and the death of Sapphira, we see that this is divine judgment. God is judging these two, saying this will not be tolerated. And so I come away with a little saying, this is, what, this is how my mind works sometimes, and I just go, okay, God, what am I learning from this? I'm learning, Sir Mix-a-Lot, God is not. All right? Sir Mix-a-Lot, God is not. Some of you may know this rap artist. I actually hope you don't because his stuff is awful. But Sir Mix-a-Lot, God is not. What I mean is God doesn't allow things to mix that we sometimes allow to mix. Right? Ananias and Sapphira, oh, we can just fudge a little bit over here. That doesn't fly with God. This is not the first time, however, that God has not allowed things to mix, right? All of you, is, let me just turn that into a question, actually, a rhetorical one, but let's go there. Is this the first time in the biblical record that God has said, hey, things can't mix? The unholy and the profane cannot mix. Is this the first time he's saying this? Of course not. We've got the whole holiness code. When God is speaking to the people of Israel, he says, hey, guys, this cloth doesn't go with this cloth. And guess what, guys? Humans shouldn't have relationships with animals. And guess what, people? Men shouldn't wear women's clothing. And actually, God says explicitly to Moses, you must teach the people to discern the profane from the holy. And when God gets on the move, it is important that there not be mixture in motive. And the story I'm thinking about from the Old Testament is remember when God was giving the people the land and Joshua is leading them. And do you remember this man, Achan? And what happened at Achan? And why could they not defeat? Why were they unable to defeat the enemies at the city called Ai? What had Achan done? He had taken one of the idols from the enemy, from the godless people, and he'd hidden it. He'd mixed it with his other things. The story's found in Joshua 7. And this is exactly what it says in Joshua 7:11. He says, they, meaning Achan, his family, they've stolen. That's not good. Then they've lied. All right, here's the deception piece. They've lied. And they've put them, the devoted things, among their own belongings. So you see, God has quite a history of saying, people of God, you need to discern holy 
from not holy. And we can't have mixture. Sir, mix a lot. God is not. He doesn't allow mixing of holy and unholy. So, this is still a heavy, isn't it? We're getting somewhere. <laughs> we are getting some good news, okay? There's some great news. But this is already good news. We're going we're gonna to get to good news. In other words, you need God. We need God to not be someone who mixes stuff. Just like you don't want your babysitter to be okay most of the time but have a small problem with abducting children later, you know? That's a problem. Same thing, okay? What we can take away from this as God's people is heart motives matter to God. You see, the distinction between Barnabas and then Ananias and Sapphira couldn't be more clear as far as motive. And at the beginning of the church, God had to make it abundantly clear that mixed motives would not be tolerated, that the God of this new covenant and this move of God, although he's very much a God of grace, he's not going to allow actions of mixed motives to be carried out as purely motivated things. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit's work in the church with Ananias and Sapphira serves as a great illustration of what he does in our hearts. Now, thank God, and this is, you know, I can't, I don't have a good explanation for this. Thank God we don't fall dead, you know, when we have mixed motives, right? We, this would be, there'd be no one in this room, right? If God struck us dead with every one of our mixed motives, we would have no church happening right now. But I believe, thank God we have this in Scripture as a warning, right? Because what what's the beginning of wisdom? It's the fear of the Lord, and we need the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom, and he's given us this, this story so that we can have the fear of the Lord and so that we can say, okay, God, show me my mixed motives. Okay, this is what he does. He exposes the deceptive, duplicitous motives so that we have an undivided heart that David prayed for. Remember, David asked for it. King David, who had committed adultery, and murdered someone to cover it up. This same David says, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. And so we read Ananias and Sapphira, and we say, Lord, unite our hearts to fear your name. That's my response. Is it yours? So here's the problem. The problem is that you and me, and I've just alluded to it, we are all Ananias and Sapphira. If we're honest with ourselves, that's the problem. We are all Ananias and Sapphira. We all have mixed motives. We all want to pretend to be more holy, more authoritative in the spirit, more okay than we really are. I feel that as a man sometimes. As a man, I feel like I, I need to act this way, like, yep, got my family together. My finances are together. I know where I'm headed. I can play on the team. Those are things that I feel, but on the inside, I'm feeling we're a mess here, we're a mess there. That's a mess, that's a mess, right? And then when you get to the motive of your heart, it's amazing. Actually, I love what um, our training school has typically read a book called Celebration of Discipline and written by a guy named Richard Foster. And I love what Foster says. He says, you know what? If you took a transcript of everything you said in the last 24 hours, how much of what you said was in service of kind of defending yourself, making yourself look a little better, than you think, making sure you look good. It's pretty convicting, isn't it? I, I read that and I go, oh gosh, Lord have mercy on me. Purify my speech. And to that point, there's a 16th century British nobleman named Greville who said this. He said, no man was ever so much deceived by another as by himself. We all are guilty of self-deception, of the same flavor that Ananias and Sapphira did. Sir, mix a lot, God is not. He will not allow mixture of motives. 
He will not allow the evil and the good, the wicked and the pure in the same tent. And he doesn't want it in our hearts. So what is the solution? If we're all Ananias and Sapphira, and by his mercy we're not all struck dead daily, what is the solution? I believe the solution is very Trinitarian. In other words, as we're focusing on the Holy Spirit, I believe that the solution is very Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father, all in one. And let me explain that. I feel like these verses, Acts 5, 1 to 11, they share with us, they show us what the Holy Spirit is continually doing in our lives if we'll listen, if we will pay attention to his conviction. He's continually exposing our hearts. So this is the the solution. The solution is, hey, step one, God does this, okay? He doesn't strike us dead, but he exposes us in our motives. He does in all sorts of little ways, you know? It's one of the great privileges of being married is you have someone who can mirror to you all of your phoniness, right? Thanks for doing that, honey. It's been a great seven years. So, but, you know, the, what my, all joking aside, it's in relationship, right? It's in your relationships, usually family or your close colleagues. That's where you can't budge a lot if you're kind of walking in relationship with people. You get reflected back to you, your false motives, your you're, um, you're immediately more aware of, of um, your pretending, right? So, so the Holy Spirit does that. And then, of course, this scripture makes no sense apart from the cross of Jesus. So if step one, Holy Spirit exposes us in our duplic- duplic- duplicitous motives, step two is we run to Jesus. We say, Jesus, yes, I'm Ananias, I'm Sapphira, I am pretending to be something I'm not, or in this situation, my motives aren't pure. And we run to him, and that's where the work of the cross is attributed, or we can relegate to our own soul just the work of the cross. The blood of Jesus covers our sins. We say, Lord, I need the blood of Jesus now to wash me, cover me, cleanse me. We can cry out as David did in Psalm 51, Lord, give me a new heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. It's so interesting. In that that Psalm 51, when he cries out, create in me a clean heart. I mean, the word create in Psalm 51 is the exact same word that is in Genesis 1. Create. I've had to cry out to God, God, can you please do something new in my heart? I need you to literally create something out of nothing here because I am a wicked man. But the same God who spun the universe into space, the same one who's created stars that are just so much bigger than our sun. And just it's mind-blowing how big he is. I say, God, if you can do that, then God, you can please create in me a new heart. And so we come to Jesus. We say, Jesus, let your work on the cross be good enough for me. And then this last part, the Father. After that is when I just run back to the Father and I say, Father, take me back, right? Have me. I'm a mess, but have me. And let me feel your embrace once again. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. We just sang it, right? We're no longer slaves. We are children of God. This is part of our regular rhythm. This is probably the regular rhythm of a disciple. This is a regular rhythm of someone who's following Jesus. That is, Holy Spirit convicts, oop, why did I just say that to my boss? I, I, I was actually lying right there. That was dumb. Jesus, help me, have mercy, and then, Father, I run back to you. That's our solution. That's our solution. Sir, mix a lot. God is not. He will not tolerate mixed motives in our hearts. And so the Holy Spirit, although he's very heavy right here, he's always working to purify your motives and mine. If we'll listen to him, if you'll obey, if you'll hear the little 
whispers to the Holy Spirit, you will be a student of the Holy Spirit and not have to be struck dead. How's that? <laughs> Jesus was struck dead on our behalf, okay? So, um, I'm actually, I'd like to invite the worship band to come back up. I have a few other thoughts here. We're short and sweet today. I think that's good for Memorial Day. But I have a couple of thoughts as we come to terms with this Holy Spirit who, like you parents, won't have a babysitter who's, eh, okay. The same Holy Spirit won't have a people of God who are, meh, okay, most of the time. You know, he's coming for a bride that's pure. And he's coming for us as he purifies us. I just want to share a few things as we prepare to just respond to Jesus. When I read Acts 5, 1 to 11, and I say, God, this is too heavy, I wonder if you feel the same thing. Sometimes the temptation for me is to say, God, you're just too harsh. Um, I can't handle this. But my, my encouragement is that Scripture would actually indicate a couple of other things, and they are these. The first is that we can say, thank you, God, for putting the Scripture in, right? All Scriptures God breathed. All of it is useful for teaching. And so I just actually say, I kind of turn it on its head. When I feel like this is too harsh, I just go back to God and say, thank you that you put this scripture in. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to repent, right? Romans 2 indicates that it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. The other thing I remember is I remember Matthew 25. You know, Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. And if you remember, what is the... What is, what, is God's, what is Jesus' critique of the one-talent guy, right? Remember the five-talent guy invests, makes five more. Two-talent invests two, he gets two more. But the one-talent person, do you remember what he says? He says, I knew you to be a harsh master, and so I pulled back. So what I'm, trying to, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm training you to, when sometimes we feel like, God, that's too harsh, because I read Acts 5 and I go, God, that's too harsh. But then I remember Matthew 25, and I say, wait. I say, I know what you're looking for is you want me to move towards you. The problem with the one-talent man is that he pulled back from God and just, you know, he could have at least invested it. And so when we come to passages like this, we say, okay, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to move towards you. And that's my encouragement today as we respond, is we want to move towards him. The other thing we want to thank God for, again, in this look series, is that thank you, God, that this is the dimension of the Holy Spirit right? Jesus indicated in John 16 that the Holy Spirit's job, among other things, he's comforter, he's counselor, but John 16 indicates that he's come to convict the world of sin in regards to, um, sorry, to convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And basically, if you read that little, that little snippet there in John 16, 8 to 11, it just indicates that the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of our unbelief, right? And Ananias and Sapphira, their problem was is that they didn't believe, right, that God was real. They didn't believe that he was a God who cared about motives. So again, I'm just saying, thank you, God, that the Holy Spirit does his job. He convicts us of our unbelief. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you do get grieved. Paul said it this way. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 30, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And the reason he said, when you look at what's around Ephesians 4, 30, you, you see, here's the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. It's things like lying. It's things like sensuality that's unchecked. Anger 
that's unchecked. Um, Malice and unkindness that's unchecked. Greed that's unchecked. Stealing that's unchecked. I'm a little, forgive me for being a little scattered, but my, what I'm trying to say is, this is how I pastor myself through when God, when I feel like it's too harsh. And I just go, wait a second. Holy Spirit, I'm glad you're here. Convicting me of unbelief. Holy Spirit, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that you get easily grieved by my sin because it makes me want to walk away from my sin and say, Holy Spirit, don't be grieved. You know, have your dominion in my heart. One of the Psalms is, Lord, let me be your sanctuary. Have dominion over me. And that, that's my prayer is, Holy Spirit, come and have your dominion over me now. And the good news is, most of the time, in other words, most, most through history, the Holy Spirit is incredibly patient to perfect our hearts and our motives. Again, I don't have a good answer for you as to why Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead you know, at their deception. Why were they not given an opportunity to repent? I don't know. You can take that up with God. It's above my pay grade, truly. I know that most of the time, my experience, other saints that I walk with, God is incredibly patient to perfect in us holiness, to deal with our own mixture. He's incredibly patient over years and decades of our lives to deal with the mixture that he wants to get out so that there's just a pure heart that remains. And it is Memorial Day, and so I want to end with a story about four people who I think because they had a lifestyle of responding to the Holy Spirit when convicting or when when they were convicted, they, in the moment where it really counted, they were completely walking in the Holy Spirit. Because that's what God's doing with you and me. When it counts, we want to walk in the Holy Spirit. And that's why it matters that you respond to Him and all these little ones. Maybe you've heard some of this story before. These are known as the four chaplains. In February of 1943, there was a transport ship uh, that the army had. And it was transporting 902 personnel from Newfoundland, Canada to Greenland obviously on their way to the European theater of World War II. And although this ship, the Dorchester is what it was called, although it had three Coast Guard vessels guarding it, the German U-boats were just too sneaky, and they were able to torpedo this boat. And in 20 minutes, this ship holding 902 people went down. But on board were Methodist minister George Fox, a Jewish rabbi, Alexander Goode, Dutch Reform Minister Clark Poling, and a Catholic priest named John P. Washington. 230 people survived, and their testimony is this. Their testimony is that these chaplains went to work immediately tending to the wounded. You know, once this torpedo hit, they, they rescued the trapped, they encouraged the frightened, and they prayed for, these, for everyone. And there came a moment, they all had their life vests, that it became apparent that there weren't enough life vests for 902 people. So at that moment, each chaplain to a man, these four men, took off their life vests so of the 290 who could survive, you know, they could. Four of those 290 survived because each chaplain took off their vest. And again, the testimony from the survivors is that these four chaplains, as that ship went down, they linked arms. And again, I don't want to mess with your theology as far as the Jewish guy, but they all linked arms and they prayed and they sang hymns together as they went into that water. And again, this is February, so what killed the people was the hypothermia because it was so frigid. My point is, at the moment when it counted, 
these guys had been processed enough by the Holy Spirit. They had um, said yes to the Holy Spirit every time they had sensed that they had grieved Him. They were okay with the Holy Spirit that required that there be no mixture but purity. Because they had a lifestyle of doing that, when the moment came, they walked like Jesus would have walked, totally self-sacrificially. Amen? So this is the Holy Spirit who took Ananias and Sapphira away. It's the same Holy Spirit that wants to fill us and have us walk in the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. He loves us. He loves you. He's preserved it in Scripture so that we would be a people unmixed. It's a journey, okay? And again, I don't know why Ananias and Sapphira didn't have the privilege of journey, but I do know that you and I do. We have the privilege of journeying with the Holy Spirit. You will not be struck down, I don't think, by God today. <laughs> okay? All right, let's stand up, and I'm going to let, I don't know, David, elders, want, you guys can help process. I'll pray, and then um, we have a little bit of, we have a few moments here. <clears throat> thank you, Lord. Again, Lord, we thank you for the word, and thank you that you are not a God who mixes. Thank you, you require, you demand that your people be a people of pure hearts. Lord, we confess immediately that we are so not that in our own doing. We confess that the sin of Ananias and Sapphira is ours too much, daily, weekly, monthly. And we thank you that it's your loving kindness that lets us repent. On a holiday weekend, we can come to Jesus and say, Lord, can you just remake me again? Can you rewire me a little bit? Can you show me where I've grieved you and can we work it out here? We love you, Lord. Thank you, God.